Good morning, Springfield. You're tuned to 104.1 FM KSGF. This hour, we're going to discuss a little bit of farming, farming techniques, and getting back to the basics of the way it used to be before commercialized farming took over. But before that, we have the KTTS first alert forecast from Color 10, Fox 49, meteorologist Tom Schmidt. Today, some isolated morning snow, then remaining cloudy, high of 37, wind chills in the 20s. Tonight, mostly cloudy, low of 24. Mostly sunny on Saturday, warmer, high of 48. New Year's Eve night is partly cloudy, low of 22. New Year's Day is sunny and a high of 38. And uh, now I have two guests in studio. I have Eric Vimont and I have John Bledsoe is going to hang over. So that way we can discuss not only farming techniques, farming applications, and the application of why it is that we should probably get back to the point of where it used to be, where you didn't have 15,000 head of cattle grazing on two acres of property and wondering why the, the, the soil gets to the point where you can't do anything with it, or the five chicken houses that have 30,000 chickens in them each to be produced. But I'll let Eric introduce himself since he's in studio. All right. I'm a small farmer from Lawrence County. Um, the name of our farm is Pasture Nectar Farm. Um, we produce beef, lamb, and raw milk, and a few other little things, Asian pears and chicken chicken eggs when we have them. Right now, the chickens aren't laying very well, but um, basically just a small private family farm idea. Well, you just left me, <laughs> left me hanging here. <laughs> I was actually trying to update my post so people knew where they could reach you at with Pasture Nectar Farm. So you have pretty much, since I've known you, this goes back to, I think we actually first met with the Well-Fed Neighbor Association, which is about 10, 12 years ago. Uh, recently, I've started purchasing milk from you, and you have pretty much gotten back to what I believe are the basics of farming back when you didn't have a thousand milking cows in, in, in on one farm, or if you did, your farm was large enough to handle uh, that thousand head. But I also know that you're also trying to get back to the point where you're not using any GMO products. The seed that you're using isn't GMO, which I think in this day and age is incredibly difficult. But one of the benefits is, is you live around a lot of Amish and a mm. lot of Mennonites, I believe. Mm. Mm -hmm. So they're not ones, to my knowledge, to be approached by the companies like John's been talking about to spray their property, or are they? Uh, no, probably not um, Not that type of thing. But sadly, the Amish are not as isolated or um, as, I'll say the word pure, I don't mean that in a derogatory sense, but... The Amish have been affected by the propaganda about, um, you know, fertilizers or, you know, things like that as well. Um, nowadays, the Amish diet isn't as good as it once was. They eat a lot of sugar. And, and again, I have lots of friends that are Amish. I'm not anti-Amish. But, um, you know, with the advent of the Internet, uh, those of us that cared about things like 
clean food and and stewarding the land and also we could find out what was um what was wrong with the old or the <clears throat> let's say the modern ideas that are wrong the the contemporary ideas and the Amish don't have that ability. You know, they're kind of stuck lagging behind us where we sort of were, say, a generation ago. Um, you know, there, there are voices out there like Joel Salatin's, who has been preaching independent, small, direct-to-the-consumer, um, responsible-type agriculture for 30 years, probably, maybe more than that. Um, so we have access to what the Amish don't. Again, I'm no opponent of the Amish. I love their communities and all that, but um, they're not the people to look for to lead the way in terms of uh, understanding how messed up the the industrial agriculture world is. But sadly, that's the way we've been educated, and that's the way that that has been promoted to us, because it's easier for us to go down to Costco and to purchase meat right there at the meat counter because it's so abundant versus the high cost of going to the local producer and going, oh, by the way, I need a, a half a cattle or a quarter cattle or whatever it is that you want to get. People are educated to believe that that way is much more expensive. It's much harder than all it takes is a little pre-planning. I mean, luckily for me, I've got a whole bunch of customers that do between the eggs and the, the meat and the chickens, and I can pretty much stay out of the stores if I need to. But there are times where I have to run to the store. I run out of lettuce in my garden. I'd run out of broccoli in my garden. I'd run out of those things. So it's it's easier just to go to the store. And we're already up on a break. So 104.1 FM KSGF. Good morning, everyone. I'm Angela Luna. Tomorrow will be the last day to ride one of Silver Dollar City's most popular rides. The Branson Theme Park's historic indoor roller coaster Fire in the Hole will pull through the station one last time on December 30th. The park says 48 guests selected through various social media giveaways will be the final public riders on the roller coaster and will receive a mounted piece of the coaster track along with other keepsakes commemorating the ride's retirement. Although there are pre-selected guests for the final ride, it will be in operation all day Saturday. Silver Dollar City will debut its all-new Fire in the Hole next spring. There will be lots of places you can go to ring in the new year around the Ozarks. The Glorious Theater in Springfield is hosting a Mardi Gras-themed bash this year with prizes for best dress and best mask. You can also celebrate at the Oasis Hotel and Convention Center with party packages that include live music, dinner, and drinks. We have a full list of events on our website. From Color 10 Studios, I'm Angela Lewis. Springfield's Talk 1041, Sarah Myers, and the new year is going to be here soon. And if your New Year's resolution is to just be a little more overall prepared, I recommend that you take a trip down to Quick Draw Gun in Monette. Now, I recommend Brad and his team because they can help you with everything from ammo restocks, um, firearm accessories. They can help you add to your collection, or maybe you uh, don't own a firearm, but you are wanting to purchase one, or maybe you just have questions. Whatever the situation is, Brad and the team down there, they are going to help you out. And I really do recommend them if you are looking to purchase your first firearm because they're going to help answer all of your questions. Uh, they're not going to look down on you if you don't know something. They'll help you narrow down your purchase, and they're just they're awesome to work with. So if that is the type of shop that you are looking for, Quick Draw Gun in Monette is the shop for you. Now, you can give Brad and his team a call today, plus you can find all of that other uh, contact information, store hours, their address. All of that is going to be housed under the Sarah's Endorsements tab at ksgf.com. 
Plus, you can shop a locally owned business. That's right. They're good folks down there. Have you been down there? I have. I've been. It, it took me a while to figure out where it was at. It's right behind the Taco Bell. It is, but it's not like it's right on Highway 60. No, it's, it's, it's kind of tucked back away. away. So unless you're actually looking back there, you don't even see the sign because there was the day that I drove by and I went, oh, that's where it's at. Mm-hmm, yep. So that's why I recommend if you are wanting to go down there, uh, look up their address. Uh, but like I said, they're right behind the Taco Bell. You'll hang a, a, a hard left at that stoplight. You'll go south. Yes. No matter which direction you're coming, you'll turn south. There you go. Okay. But shopping local is important, and I believe that shopping local should also be done for your produce, your meat, your eggs, your milk. It would be very beneficial for people, and we have not been educated that way, but it would be very beneficial for people to get to know the people that it is that they purchase their products from. And that's where you come in. Yes, sir. Yeah, I <clears throat> I wanted to say that um, I think everybody kind of knows, maybe after the COVID uh, hysteria and all the mess that that caused, that things aren't getting better. It seems like with a, with a Republican uh, uh, leadership in this country, things get bad. And when the Democrats get in control, it gets worse. Um, so we're not... Nothing's being built up in this country. Everything's being torn down. And I believe what that's going to lead to is real hard times and maybe not too far down the road. So I think at least a part of the solution to that is having uh, a relationship with somebody that produces food, whether that's you, your neighbor, or a farmer a little bit further out, um, some sort of security in terms of food is real important. Obviously, there are other forms of security that you need to, but my area is farming. And what I would encourage people to do is not shop so much where it's easy and cheap. That's a very poor way to choose your food. Choose something that is nutritious, um, comes from the community, and is something that you'll be able to get when you really need it. Um, if the stores shut down, the, the transportation goes away or whatever. I think with COVID, it was shown very easily that should the government to decide, of course, they didn't do it with COVID, but if the people in government decided to shut down the grocery stores, the grocery stores would do it. They very well would just close their doors and say, well, go- government has said, that we can't be open, and then what are the people going to do? They have no, they have no access. Well, they have plenty of access. The problem is they they've been educated to understand that the access is the grocery store. The access is not to go out to Eric's farm and go. By the way, I, I need a half a cow. I'm going to put into my freezer and I'm going to store that up. Food storage is very important. I mean, a lot of the churches teach. A food storage, whether it's in a can, jarred, or whatever. You've got, I know the Amish do food storages. There are things that you can have in bulk. Uh, We just recently bought a freeze dryer, so we're going to uh, educate ourselves on how to freeze dry certain foods that to keep on hand. You can freeze dry virtually everything. That's what I understand. But a lot of people do like the Skittles and, uh, you know, the things that aren't very beneficial. But it's great for a treat. 
but there are certain things that in reality, if you have a food storage, let, let's say a year's worth, well, that, that's a year's worth of money that you don't need to spend at the grocery store. Or go, go to somebody like you and, and purchase a, a quarter a cow or a half a cow or a whole one, put it in the freezer, and that's meat that you have long term, and you also know where it is that it came from. I'd prefer that way. Of course, I've been, I grew up on a farm, so I look at this a little bit differently than people who grew up in the city who think that they can go to Walmart where the, the, the meat is, is produced, packaged, and put in the refrigerator for them to have access to. That's right. Well, what do you want me to say? You said it all. It... Well, you're the guy that does it. So what I really wanted to do, and the last time I had you on what I wanted you to do, and I completely <clears throat> forgot to ask, is the day in the life of what it is that you do. So like, when does your day start? What do you do? How, how do you, how do you bring about the fact that you can explain to somebody or you can give to somebody food that is produced in a healthy manner that's healthier for you than what I can find at a Costco that's already bagged up for me? Are we at a break again? So answer that question after we get back from the break. You're tuned to 104.1 FM KSGF. It's kind of dark in here. I can't see you. It's kind of dark in here. <laughs> You're tuned to 104.1 FM KSGF, and I do find it kind of funny that Sarah's in here geeking out on farming and ranching techniques. I love it. I have a little mini hobby farm. So I find this conversation quite fascinating. I, I, I believe Eric, and there's probably a few others that I'm unaware of, but I believe the, uh, the, the application of being able to provide wholesome, beneficial food and products is very beneficial. And you, with your little hobby farm up there north of Springfield, could greatly be able to do the same identical thing, mm-hmm. if only for yourself or for your family and that. Healthy farming, healthy living. How do you how do you go about promoting your product, Eric? As a, I don't know if I want to say superior quality to what you can find at the store. Maybe that's the wrong word, but maybe it's the right word. I don't know. I think it's pretty close. Um, well, the promotion is mostly um, word of mouth. Our customers are very loyal. You know, we have customers that have been buying from us now for almost twenty years. Um, so. Once you kind of have a reputation for producing the highest quality that you know how to do, uh, there is a segment of our population that's aware of the value of that, and they'll and they'll stay with you. Um, how we do the production is we don't use any chemicals. We don't use any um, petroleum-based products. Everything on our farm is basically there because the soils are healthy because the the manure that the cows drop in the field is the the fertilizer um our farm has never been fertilized limed or uh sprayed in uh at least 18 years and um the Amish man that we bought from before told me that he had not applied anything that was negative for a number of years as well so we're probably talking close to 30 years of of the soil not being abused by modern practices. Um, we feed no grain to our cattle. We do feed grain to the chickens because that's a different digestive process. Um, but our sheep and our cattle eat grass. 
And then when they're done eating grass, then they eat more grass because that's all they get. Um, and if you look at the science of, of uh, especially um, ruminant animals, uh, they are designed by God to eat one thing, and that's high cellulose, I believe is the term, grass. Um, now, that can include some legumes and some things that are not in the grass family, but they're all in the forb or herb families. And their system doesn't digest grain. They don't assimilate the, the, the nutrition out of grain in a way that's beneficial to them. In other words, if you feed grain to a cow, you shorten her life. You, you, you increase her output, but the quality of that output is lower. Like, for instance, in milk, and it's the same in meat, the conjugated linoleic acid and the omega-3, omega-6 balance all go out of whack. You, you start losing uh, omega-3s and you start increasing the, I think it's omega-6, which promotes inflammation, and you de decrease the omega-3, which fights inflation. Now, inflammation, I'm sorry, inflammation. So, and again, if I'm wrong on which of those does which, I apologize because I'm not a scientist, I'm a farmer. I just know enough to get in trouble when it comes to the, to the technical stuff. But the truth is, an animal should eat what God designed an animal to eat. And if it doesn't, it's a negative influence on that animal's meat or milk quality. I imagine that you would have people who would make the case that we weren't designed to eat meat. No, we're an omnivore. Omnivore. We... No, I'm just saying that there there would be people who would make the case that we're supposed to eat pretty much the same thing a, a cow eats. We're supposed to be vegan. After all, we don't have the very sharp teeth to be able to the claw the uh, the steak out of a cow while it's still living. We're, we we don't we're not wolves. We're not you know we're not that type of an animal. Therefore, that we shouldn't be eating meat either. Well, I don't want to get too politically incorrect here, but um, I do love to be. Um, we also have people in this in this country and now in this world who can't tell what sex they really are. <laughs> so if you if you listen to a certain segment of the population, you're going to get in trouble anyway. Yeah, and luckily for us, cattle cannot self-identify. We're at the uh, the bottom of the hour, and when we come back, I want to discuss the type of cattle that you raise and what's the differences between meat cattle versus milking cattle and get a little bit more in tune to that. But you're tuned to 104.1 FM KSGF. <laughs> out ktts first alert forecast from color 10 fox 49 meteorologist tom schmidt some isolated morning snow today then remaining cloudy high of 37 wind chills in the 20s tonight mostly cloudy low of 24 tomorrow mostly sunny warmer high of 48 new year's eve night looks like it's going to be chilly with a low of 22 and new year's day sunny with a high of 38 it just looks gross out there doesn't it <laughs> I don't like it. Just thought I'd interject that. Well, you know, one it's kind of weird. It, 
in the morning, sometimes it looks like the sun's actually going to come out for like about a 33-second time span, and then just absolutely disappears. Well, that's what you get. Before we went to break, we were we were going to discuss the differences between cattle that's raised specifically for milk, cattle that's raised for specifically for meat, because we've gotten into even doctors now specialize in different fields. They don't create the mechanism by where they're a doctor over everything. And I know farming has similarly gotten the same way, whether it's people who do nothing but milk cattle, there's people who do nothing but beef or raise meat cattle. So is there something that's a combination of both? Absolutely. Um, and at one time, there were almost all breeds were dual purpose. Um, even, even breeds you wouldn't expect, like jerseys at one time were a dual purpose animal. But, and, and I, I attribute this to the bad practices taught in what Joel Salatin calls cow colleges or ag colleges. Um, their theory is the, is the Henry Ford theory that everything has to be standardized and, and produced on an assembly line, quote. Um, and that's what's taught in... And then American agriculture spreads to the rest of the world, sadly, because we're, it's like California spreads to the rest of the country. America spreads to the rest of the world. Um, the Europeans at the moment are lagging behind us, thankfully. They have much better agricultural uh, standards or, or practices. The problem is they're, they're not holding to them. They're shifting. As we go further crazy, they follow us. The breed that we have on our farm is the only true dual-purpose cattle left in the world genetically um, that have been maintained as a as a uh, t intentionally dual-purpose breed, and that's called Fleckvi. Um, the word stands for spotted cow, Fleck, and then V-I-E-H is the term for cow in the Ger Germanic languages. Um, they will produce. Well, there are dairies that, that have straight Fleckby cattle that, that uh, they milk, um, and still their, their calves are better in terms of, uh, of selling them into the beef market. Um, if you came and looked at our cattle, you could not tell them apart from a beef cow. They're that thick. Um, they, they don't look like, uh, like sort of a, a, an emaciated half-starved animal with bones sticking out in a lot of directions um, and a gigantic udder under them. Ours are a moderate milking animal, but where they fit in beautifully is on like a farmstead where you have a limited amount of land. You can't have um, a herd of beef cattle and a herd of dairy cattle, so you want to get as much production out of one cow, let's say, and maybe a bull or a couple cows as you can. You get you get milk for your family, and yet you can still raise a bull calf out of that cow and get meat that is uh, at slaughter time the same weight as an Angus or a Hereford or any of the conventional beef breeds would be. But I would imagine that—what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, advertising has has led us to believe that Angus— <laughs> Angus is the best piece of meat that you can have when you go, it's always black Angus, or I want this certain select cut of, of meat that, and I would, I, I would imagine that 
ad companies, marketing companies, that's what I was looking for. Marketing companies have a lot to do with the way it is that we we think and, and we believe because we see it on the idiot box every single day of the week. And it would be far beneficial if people actually stopped watching the idiot box and actually went out to the farm to see the way this, this stuff was done. Yeah, the Angus Association marketing has been world class. Everybody that wants to be a marketer should look at how they did that. Now, they took advantage of a situation back in the 80s where the Japanese economy was um, really roaring before its collapse in 89, I believe. Um, and they were, you know, the Japanese love beef and they were sending buyers over here, but the only color of animal that they would buy was black because in Japan, that was the traditional color of the cattle that were there. So it was just a racial thing. It was just, it was just uh, racism, so to speak. Um, but selling them into slavery. <laughs> yeah. But, but here's the deal. And I don't, you know, I have friends that raise Angus. I don't want to, I don't want to make them mad, but. If they're honest, they'll, they'll admit that when you take the hide off of a cow, you can't tell any difference. Maybe apart from the Wagyu, because they do have kind of a different structure in their, in their flesh. But if you're talking about all of the conventional breeds with the, once they're on the rail, you, you nobody can look at that and say that was a Charlay or that was a, you can tell that it was grain fed, you, you know. You, excuse me, you can tell different characteristics that don't pertain to the breed, but you can't, you can tell characteristics that, that pertain to how it was managed, not what genetic line it came from. So you can't taste the quality in the meat either? Or yes, you can. The, the Wagyu people will, will argue that you can taste the difference there. Now, I'm not an expert on Wagyu, so I'm not going to talk one way or the other about that, but well, when I was actually going to ask you about Wagyu because I know we have a break coming up, but I was going to ask you the the what makes a Wagyu, Wagyu, whatever it is, however it is you pronounce it, what makes it? Is it its own breed of cattle? Is it a yeah. select cut or whatever? No, it's it's that, and it's just the fat within the meat. They have more intramuscular fat. Okay. When we get back from break, you can explain what causes that. 104.1 FM, KSGF. Welcome back, Springfield. You're tuned to 104.1 FM KSGF in studio with me. I still have uh, Eric Vimont from Pastor Nectar Farms. I still have John Bledsoe, of which he has not piped in and on this conversation at all. But based on the fact that you kind of you two are somewhat similarly discussing the same issue, John, with you know the uh, the application of what's known as fertilizer on farm properties, you being a farmer. And we're, we were discussing off-break the, the fact of grain-fed versus grass-fed. And, and I know we, we pump so many grains into our chickens that they become awkwardly, in my opinion, they become awkwardly deformed because of what's being fed to them. And I would assume the same thing could happen to cattle if you're looking for a fatter I don't know if it's fat meat or just a larger. I would say it's both. You know, you're going to get a faster growing animal that's also going to be more fat. And admittedly, fat corresponds to a certain degree to tenderness. If that fat is within the meat, if it's, if it's extra, if it's 
extra, there's intramuscular and extramuscular, I believe is the other one. If the fat is on the outside of the meat, it doesn't help with the tenderness much. But if you give them enough time for that fat to be um, assimilated all the way into the meat, then, then it does uh, correspond to tenderness. Uh, A2, A2 meat is also more tender, which is something that that's a whole subject we probably don't want to get into today. But um, if your only criteria is tender meat, then you want a grain fed animal. If your criteria is nutritional food, then you want a a grass fed animal. Um, Now, grass fed meat needs to be handled a little different when you're cooking it. It can't be thrown on the grill and just burnt, you know, or, or dried out to the point you can't cut it. But if grass-fed beef is handled properly, it can be very good. And a lot of people say that the flavor is better, but admittedly, you can make it tough if you cook it wrong. And, you know, if the, if the animal is slaughtered at the wrong time in its, in its development, then that's another negative. You know, we, we let all our animals go to at least 30 months before we slaughter them, which means that there's more time for that animal to develop and to put what fat it can uh, assim- or take out of grass into the meat rather than just growing the, the frame or whatever. So, you know, the, the conventional system wants to butcher animals at, at, I believe it's 16 months and maybe, you know, approaching two years uh, or 20 months. But the faster they can get them through a feedlot, the more money they can make. So they dump the grain to them to get them to grow faster. We're looking for quality, not quantity. So we don't care how, I don't care if an animal is 30 months or 36 months if it takes that to get to where it's prime. How do you know though? I mean, because you brought up 30 months. I was about ready to ask you, well, 30 months is good. Then why not 36 months? Why not 48 months? At, at what point does a a head of cattle get too old specifically for nutritional value or don't they? No, they really don't. You know, you just get to the point of uh, diminishing returns. After about 30 months, you're not going to gain anything for your for your time. Um, uh, and h- how you know that an animal is ready to go, you go out and look at it. You know, it's, it's, it's filled out, you know, it's especially a beef animal. You know, you, you want, you want to see a lot of flesh around that frame. And um, on grass, they don't get that as, as quickly. So you, you know, you have to be patient. Good food takes patience and it takes work. You know, the supermarket model of shopping is just like the chemical um, uh, application on a farm. It's going to give you an easier, faster product, but it's not going to be a nutritious product. It's not going to be a healthy product. I have always loved watching people shop, especially the ones that pick up the the, the rack of ribs and they'll put it up to their nose to smell it. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, the only thing you're smelling is a cellophane wrapper. So what exactly are you getting out of the, the way some people shop just absolutely blows my mind, but that's... There, there are things now, I know with fruits and vegetables, there are ways to figure out whether or not they have been, you know, whether they're ripe, whether they're not. You can tell when an avocado is not ripe, you try to squeeze it. And if it don't squeeze, it's hard as a rock. So you got to let it get ripe. But cattle is a completely different story. So I guess the, the people who choose these are very well knowledgeable on what a 
well-produced cow should look like. Yeah, a cattleman gets to the point where he he can look at an animal and say, yeah, that one's that one's finished or, you know. In, so in why are shape. we now then rushing them to the market? Purely for economics. The, the feedlots, and I don't know the, the statistics, but the, the feedlot operators will tell you every day costs them so much. And the faster they can pump them through, um, it's again, it's back to that Henry Ford kind of thinking, you know, we have to do, we have to make it quick. We have to make it easy. Everybody, everybody on the assembly line puts on one nut and screws it down. You know, the next guy puts on the mirror of the, of the, but nobody anymore in our culture, nobody looks at the holistic, the whole picture. Wouldn't it be far superior and far beneficial? Granted, I know you can't do this in every area, but if the if the United States was broken up into quadrants, per se, to where Missouri, Nebraska, Iowa, you know, those states could team up to the point where all of your food was pretty much predominantly raised in that area. I know there's certain things you can't raise, but it would seem to me that this mass production of everything has gotten to the point where it is that it's not as superior as people have been led to believe. I'd say that's 100% correct. Um, local food, I'll just call it security, is something we ought to be thinking about. What if they shut down the trucking? Um, we, we, we are the largest beef-producing region in the world, and all of our beef, beef, apart from this stuff you were talking about earlier, is processed out of state. And before that... All of it was. I'm actually a fan of them bringing some processing back, but they need to do it well, and they're not. And that's a whole different issue. They, the processing industry doesn't do... They're just as bad as every other industry. They don't do a good job. They could. There's no reason why they can't. Still, small-scale local is the way to go. If it, and a lot, of, a lot of research outside the mainstream has been done on the potential for producing food without having to do it on an industrial model or scale. Um, one thing I want to say before we quit that's really important that I'll probably forget if I don't, and that is when this country was founded, virtually every family, no matter if you were a, a blacksmith or a, a doctor or whatever, you still had a patch of land someplace where you, where you, you were connected to the land. They say that over 98% of the population was on a farm in, say, 1800. Today, less than, I think it's under 2% is today. It's, it's completely inverted. And a nation that doesn't have an agricultural base other than an industrial agricultural base, which can be shut down in a heartbeat if the COVID insanity comes back or whatever. And by the way, they shut down the processing when COVID hit. I don't know if you all know that, but you couldn't get an animal butchered in this country for about six months. Well, yeah, because the, Ty the Tyson plants closed because yeah. I remember there was the yeah. the outbreak, supposedly, of COVID. Yeah. And I know we have a break. So you're tuned to 104.1 FM KSGF. I want a boom, bang, bang. 
Springfield's Talk 1041, Sarah Myers. And if you are looking to purchase a new vehicle soon, but you've got a couple of different options that you're looking at, I recommend that you check out Avis, the car rental company, and their long-term rental program. Now, Avis, they created this long-term rental program to kind of bridge that gap between buying a vehicle and leasing a vehicle. And it really is a great option, like I said, if you are looking to purchase a vehicle, but you're wanting to do a longer test drive before you actually make that commitment. Now, uh, with the long-term rental program, you don't have to worry about maintenance while you're in the vehicle. You don't have any trips to the DMV. And if you get into a vehicle that you realize, you know, I need some more bells and whistles, or, you know, maybe this is too much, or maybe it just doesn't have enough space, whatever the situation is, you can swap out vehicles every couple of months if you wish to do so. Now, if you want more information on that long-term rental program, or you just want to check out Avis's inventory, swing by the Avis store. It's located here in Springfield uh, off of Fort and Sunshine. Make sure you ask for Lauren. And of course, you can find all of that contact information for Avis, the car rental company, under the Sarah's Endorsements tab at ksgf.com. Thank you. Thank you. Now, one of the things that we tried, uh, oh, God, I'm going to say it was maybe a decade ago uh, up at the Gateway Farm as we were raising hogs. And we tried to set up a, a system where somebody would buy a, a piglet and then they would pay like a monthly maintenance fee to keep it there. And then when it was time for slaughtering, then we were, uh, I think we were using a buffalo meat locker. And we found out that that system really didn't fly that well. So either, either we were terrible at promoting the ideology or people just didn't grasp the concept of, and I think it would be really cool if, if I could buy, let's say, a, a beef cattle from you to the point where I pay a price for it you keep it out on your property, so I pay a monthly obligation fee for it, and then when it's time for it to be slaughtered, then I would pay for the slaughtering and everything else that goes along with it. But that's not the that's not the ideology that most people affiliate with it when it comes to things like that. Yeah, that model has actually been applied more in the milk uh, uh, access world than with meat uh, it, it could work for sure outside the milking but um, the reason that it has worked in the milk world is because a lot of states were very oppressive of raw milk for a long time and that is changing um, I think the internet has had a lot to do with that um, more information has gotten out about the nutritional qualities of raw milk but anyway in states where milk was not available to buy directly from the farmer a lot of times they got around that by doing what they call cow shares, where safe three or four families would own one cow and each get their uh, percentage of that milk. Um, so I get I'm not opposed to that. It's just, uh, you know, in in general, it's hard to get people unless they're forced to work together to work together very well. You know, people are still independent and I, you know, there's a good, there's a good thing about being independent. In fact, that's what I'm preaching here is food independence, but, um, it's really a, a much more healthy model for everybody that can to have a few sheep or chickens or, um, or a cow or whatever in the long run, that's the only sustainable model is to have something <clears throat> where if things get really tough, you don't have to rely on somebody else for what you have. You know, we're all still going to have to trade. I understand that. You know, I, I will trade for anything. 
firewood, um, silver, I don't care. Uh, things get bad, I'll trade. But the more you can have in your possession, the better. Yeah, because back in the 40s, they were promoting people to have chickens. And somewhere down along the line, the same governmental entity that was promoting to have chickens is now saying you can't have chickens. And where I live, I happen to have an acre of property. I could very easily have a sheep, a goat, uh, chickens. Of course, I wouldn't want to overpopulate my little acre. I wouldn't want to put 15 head of cattle on it, but I would still have the availability of doing that. But you've got city government coming along and said, no, 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 you can't, you can't do that. So it was interesting to have John Bledsoe on air and Eric Vimont. Eric is at the Pasture Nectar Farm, and you're tuned to 104.1 FM KSGF.